There's uh, such a mix of traditions that surrounds the Christmas season. For some, it has little to do with any religious observance. I was reading an opinion piece last week and the writer was saying that they really quite enjoy the festive season and the cheer and the goodwill. Not so much into the religious side of things, but the season itself is good, they said. I felt that was such a sad reflection, the sense that there was some... The festival in itself is all that can be offered because festivals come and they go. And at the end of the day, someone has to clean up. I'm sure you're not thinking about that already just yet. In terms of uh, cleaning up, one of the thoughts that's just beginning to merge in my mind as we've had a lot of uh, fun and a lot of uh, teamwork and putting our lights out to show that we are celebrating. We have every cause to celebrate as a church. And if you've made your way up Kensington Road, any time after 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30 is pretty good. Midnight last night was stunning, I have to say. Then the, the lights are making a statement that we are celebrating and the celebrations are focusing on the light who's come into the world. It was interesting that we had to look hard and uh, around to find anything religious to do with the lights that are available in our commercial stores. If you go on, they have everything but religious lights. Every sort of mythical creature you can think of, even a kiwi, who's not mythical by the way, but pretty sure the kiwi wasn't at the nativity scene. What's exercising in my mind is that after 12 days of Christmas, we're going to have to pack it up. Well, parts of it anyway. Some of it looking so stunning, we might leave them up for longer. And uh, one of the things, not so much getting them down, it's more not getting entangled with all these different lines and lights. I don't know if you've ever done even Christmas tree lights and things. As much as you try and do them so they don't get entangled, mine always do. It's quite a challenge to untangle them as well. And that's sort of a bit of a, an image for Christmas. We have so many different things that, that are woven into it that actually are not at the heart, at the core of the Christmas message. One of the things that I was so tempted to sneak into our display outside, uh, for those who know the movie Love Actually would know the reference, I was so tempted to have a lobster just appearing through the side of a tree somewhere. You know the movie Love Actually is one of those uh, traditional children's nativity plays and they had ran out of costumes, but they had a costume for a lobster. So they decided to throw that into the, the nativity scene as well. Even when we think we've got that all sorted and we sort of got in our mind what the true gospel story is, if you look at a lot of uh, Christian Christmas cards, a lot of them, the mythology actually has been added into it. I'll just give you a little uh, illustration of that. For instance, we uh, often sing the hymn, We Three Kings of Orient Are. We actually sang it last night. As we're putting up the lights for our three Magi that are coming up and we're having a discussion about them when they were going up. And I said, well, we actually don't know that there were three. For all we know, there might have been 33 or it might have been any collection. It's just that there were three gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. So we've woven into our understanding that we think there are three kings. So as the lights were going up, we're saying, well, we might get two sets of lights next year. So we have six along our wall. There's a thought. Not only is there not three, there also weren't kings. At that stage, one of those who helped me said, what? 
So it's not free and it's not kings. Actually, nowhere it says that they are kings. They are magi. They actually were astrologers, most likely from Babylon, who came following the stars. You see, we often weave into things that become part of our commonplace thinking. And it's helpful just to try our best to strip away some of that extra entanglement and focus on the story that is truly life-changing, life-changing personally and in the history of the world. The Christmas story is one in which we can zoom in to the fine details. Last night in our two services, I'm not showing it this morning because I'm mindful of time, but we had about a five-minute clip. It's a beautiful one that was uh, showing the, the reality, the, the cries, the, the anxieties, the joys, the, uh, the fears of the birth of Jesus. And it zoomed into a newborn baby and the vulnerability of, a, of the cry that came out. It was very moving. If you want to know about it, I can show you the link or you can look at Nova Church online. It's got the link. We could zoom right into that moment and think how incredible it is where God has chosen to to enter into our world to do so in such a vulnerable position. Immediately after the sermon, we're going to have a a statement of faith. I'm going to lead it because it's not our regular one. But it is true, but it's pause for thought as we read through some of the extraordinary aspects of God revealed in the nativity story. Just as we might zoom right in on the details of the birth of a child and the incredible joy and miracle of birth itself, but recognising that this is God in that form, God choosing to enter into human life in such form, we could still also pan right back and look at the bigger picture, not just the, the, uh, the months beforehand and the pregnancy and the joy of Elizabeth and Mary comparing notes as John the Baptist was also born, but earlier, the cousin. We can draw back even further and recognise the promise for centuries that God would be doing something dramatic to, to restore the fortunes of the house of David. That was the, the sense of the first Bible reading we had. God had promised that He had heard the cries of his people, the oppression, the injustice, the violence that they were experiencing and said he would enter into the world and act to bring about victory and salvation and deal with wrongdoers. Or we could step even further back and look at this in terms of all human history. The challenge is to ask ourselves, how is it that a story that's 2,000 years old, what difference does it make to me today in the 21st century? Well, things that happen in the past do make an enormous difference to what we experience as life today. In fact, that's true of history. Events have happened in the past. We weren't there. We weren't eyewitnesses. We may have heard the stories about them. But what we experience today has been influenced by it. On a big scale, we can think about the, the, the great realities that are revealed between the heavens and the earth. The shepherds had a touch of heaven breaking into their night, into their darkness. Others who encountered Jesus had a touch of that heaven breaking in. About 65 million years ago, according to scientists give or take a million years, what's a million years? There was a singular event 
they've totally transformed the world as we experienced it today. That event was an asteroid hit our planet, made such an impact, affected the ecosystem so dramatically that, as they say, it wasn't a good day for dinosaurs. Dinosaurs became extinct as a result of that event. Many mammals did too. And the world as we experienced was impacted by something a long time ago. In spiritual terms, the same is true of the birth of Jesus. In cosmic terms, the entry of God who has created this world into human life, bridging that difference, that distance, makes all the difference in the world. You think, how might God choose to be present in the world? He could take over some existing human, enter into them and sort of emanate them. That's what some people thought happened, but that's not what we see in the gospel stories about Jesus. They might create some superhero who can come in and use their superpowers and, and uh, to bring about dramatic victories. God might have chosen to to come as a general or a politician or a, uh, a monarch, an empire builder, a CEO of an amazing multi-billion dollar company, people who are innovators and inventors. But God didn't choose to come in any of those forms. He came in the most vulnerable forms as a human, fully God, fully human, Though that was only to be discerned later as people experienced and asked the questions of who is this person, Jesus. But Jesus made an enormous difference to the lives of those he encountered. As he went into villages, as he went into homes, as he met people on the road, as he got invited to uh, spectacular parties and when he got invited to scandalous parties, as he mixed, he made a difference to people's lives and not just to individuals' lives, into the lives of communities. Staying with a metaphor for a minute, I want to use the metaphor of a derelict old building. There's a few of them out in the country. You can see them as you go through. And even the most brave DIY Renovation Australia person wouldn't take in the pile of rubble that you find sometimes. But it isn't just the structure. It's the sense that those buildings are no longer have the life that they may have had once. And they can become quite bleak places, full of spiders and dust and all sorts of creatures as they go around. That can become a metaphor of what life is like if we turn our backs on God. If we try to use God as we need it, but the rest of our lives just tuck God away somewhere, or more often than not, whether we rebel against God and saying, no, I don't need God, I don't need any of that stuff. I've got it, I'm the, I've got my life sorted. But as we look at the world around us, as we see the news feed and the stories, we know that all is not well with this world. Our world is a pretty bleak place at times. One of the Christmas traditions I actually have decided to buy into, and Fiona and I do it occasionally, are Christmas movies. Christmas movies, rated G, remove all that ugly stuff. And it's all goodwill and everything's solved and all comes together. And as, a, as my brother, as he does, pointed it out, about 16 minutes towards the end, there's always a crisis. 
Then about four minutes to go, the crisis is resolved and it all comes together. We can breathe a sigh of relief. The trouble is it's fantasy. That's not what we see in the news and the issues that face us. It can be fairly bleak. And it isn't just those big headline stories. It's also stories of our own lives as we recognise that we're not as all-conquering, all-powerful we can do if we disbelieve enough type of people. Life actually isn't like that. We experience the realities of life that can change. And from one year to the next, we know that we can never guarantee just exactly what that pathway will look like. That was the world that Jesus entered into. That's the world in which Jesus chose to live and to grow. But it's also the world that he changed. And the change is just beginning to grow and continues to grow into the present day. Staying with that metaphor, rather than life being like an empty, derelict building, engaging with Jesus, meeting Jesus, joining the company of people that Jesus gathered around him and called together to be his people, the family of God, the people of the kingdom, people who who are well-respected and those who were regarded as scandalous, people who are high and influential and those who were very poor but gave what they could, people whose lives were totally messed up and those who had been the, made a good fist of life and had some great successes. The whole mix, regardless of nations and ethnicities, background and which school we went to and any of that stuff, Jesus gathered all together. And what he brought was life. He brought vitality, a sense of this is what is good about life and about who we are. And people's lives were transformed. They were redeemed out of the mess into something that was a work in progress, sure, but on a pathway that is leading towards greater sense of hope and of light. Jesus is the light breaking into the darkness. And that light overwhelms the darkness. And he hasn't finished yet. So the notion of God with us, what the name Emmanuel means, is that God has entered into our world and is present in and through us. And just as it was in Jesus' day, I believe it is so much the case that today's world and today's neighbourhoods and homes and friends need God with us more than ever. And that is what we find in the person of Jesus. When Jesus entered this world, took on humanity and remains fully incarnate, he also breathed through the, the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. God so loved the world, he gave his Son. The Son so loved the world that he gave up his life. The Spirit so loved the world that he breathed into dry bones, into barren land and brought life and energy and purpose and hope. And that continues. That work of gathering is reflected in the some two billion people today who call Jesus, born 2,000 years ago, someone who is to be trusted. I mentioned last night, and I'll ask the question again this morning, rhetorically. You can give me an answer afterwards if you like. Can you think of anyone 
in history or in the world today, in the news feed, can you think of anyone who you would trust to bring light into our darkness, to transform the direction and the otherwise the, the cycles of violence and corruption and people being betrayed that we see played out in history? Can you think of anyone who is capable of bridging the different ethnicities and nations and cultures and languages and bringing them together? That is why Jesus, born just like one of us, yet unique in his mission that he has undertaken, and he continues to be present in and through his people. We are now the body of Christ. We are now part of God's mission work. And we are drawn into that sense of being out into the world and to be change makers and peacemakers, shalom makers. That's why it is so exciting. So the birth of Jesus started a whole movement that continues to the present day and continues to grow throughout the world and across the ages. So that's not a bad reason to celebrate. This is how Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher in the 19th century, puts it. And it's a one sentence that just speaks to me so powerfully. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in our nature in our sorrow, in our life work, in our punishment, in our grave, and now with us, or rather we with him, in resurrection, ascension, triumph, and the second advent splendor, the, 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 uh, all that is yet to come when Christ returns. That is why we celebrate this Christmas. In the midst of that, could ask the question, what is Christmas? If you do a Google search, if you do a Google search for Christmas night, be prepared to be let down, put it that way. <laughs> All the pictures that came out were Christmas night were of sleighs in the sky and elves and all that other manner of stuff. That's all I could find when I did a Google search last night. I think, well, that's all it is. That's actually not the most hopeful belief system to buy into. I'm trying to be discreet, by the way, for the little ones who are here. Just don't make that your complete belief system. That's all I can say. But the gift that we're given is that classic Sunday school answer. You know the classic Sunday school answer? If you're unsure what the, what the answer is, what do you answer? Christmas is... Let me just try that one again. Christmas is Jesus. Jesus is Christmas. He is the gift. And the invitation is there for us to receive the gift. Now, at this point, and so I'm going to conclude, there are things in which the adults amongst us seems to be something that the older we get, we need to learn this lesson over and over again. The adults amongst us, the most senior members amongst us, can learn from the young ones about how to receive a gift. When you give a child a gift and they unwrap it, hopefully, I'm pretty sure it doesn't take long for them to unwrap it, and if it's what they've been wanting, their face lights up and they take delight in the gift. And if it's a, a really well thought through gift, something that's been, it's, it's an expression of understanding and, 
and uh, really have entered into something that is really special. They take delight and receive the gift. If we're adults and we receive a really generous, abundant gift, what do we tend to do? Are you one of those who just neatly unwraps the paper? Like me, and folds it up? If we receive an abundant gift, we think, oh no, I should, you shouldn't have. I don't deserve this. We almost try to offer it back to people, don't we? Children say, what are you doing? It's a gift, receive it, enjoy it, embrace it. That's why Jesus tells us that we can learn to how to receive the kingdom like children. So as you see children delighting and receiving gifts and hoping, enjoying the occasion and tossing the wrapping paper off and running off with a gift to put it into practice, remember that we need to receive the greatest gift of Jesus. Otherwise, we can leave that gift unwrapped in a cupboard, tucked away. And isn't that a shame? That is our challenge. Receive the great Christmas gift of Jesus and find light in our darkness, hope in our lives, energy in a pathway before us that wherever it takes us, we know we are in the company of our Lord Jesus. That is why we celebrate. So I'm going to lead now with that Christmas creed, which doesn't sound like any other creed you have thought of. I'm pretty sure this will be 